ุทธังธรรมังสังขังนมัสสังทีนี้ที่ชุมชนที่นี้บริเวณนี้เริ่มต้นจากการพักผ่อนไม่ใช่ถ้าไม่Retreat, monastic retreat, where we go into seriously reduced level of activity, seriously reduced level of talking, bordering on silence. Hopefully, one of the purposes for putting ourselves under these restrictions is to increase the pressure that we feel. Going on meditation retreat is not some sort of magical formula for developing profound insights into Dhamma. Like how many hours do I spend on the cushion? Is somehow going to determine how wise I or compassionate I might be? It's not like that at all. Rather, there's a dynamic that involves increased intensity. This dynamic, this process, this process of purification or transformation, however we want to talk about it, the greed, hatred, and delusion that cause us and the world so much trouble, the process of purifying the heart of these conditions requires pressure, requires skill. It's a Tamapada verse. I think it's verse two, three, nine. I think I've got the number right there, which is gradually, gradually, a moment at a time, the wise remove their own impurities as the goldsmith removes the dross. Gradually, gradually, a moment at a time, the wise remove their own impurities as the goldsmith removes the dross. And so, gradually, that's an aspect of the skill. And the heat that's involved in the purification, purifying gold, takes a lot of heat. And all that other image that I've spoken about a number of times, the transformation of carbon dust into diamonds. There's a dynamic involved there which we need to apply great skill, great care as we engage in this process. And carbon dust is not particularly valuable. Diamonds. Can be very useful and very valuable. The process of transformation of that carbon dust into diamonds requires great pressure, great heat. And if any of these elements are missing, then the process doesn't work. For instance, the element of the container the, might have great heat, great pressure. If the container is not correctly established. Then, as they build up the pressure and the heat, you can end up with an explosion, with a terrible mess. And tragically, this does happen on meditation retreats. And sometimes it's down to the, the fact that the meditators don't have the right preparation. They haven't. The right preparation is having a very well-established sense of of self-respect or integrity or self-trust. If there's a lack of a commitment to integrity, then there's a lack of a sense of safety. We 
easily become overwhelmed by negative emotions as in that example which I spoke about recently where the Venerable Ananda asked the Buddha what's the point of the training and moral precepts and, and Siva Buddha said freedom from remorse if we have a commitment to integrity then that helps construct a container within which there's a better chance that we'll feel safe and then as we encounter as inevitably we will the denied dukkha of life put the whole system under pressure and then those aspects of life that we haven't really met haven't really lived through are we able to meet it are we able to deal with it well if our container is not rightly established and the process can have very unexpected and undesirable consequences so as we go into this week of retreat let's uh, take care let's uh, be cautious and yes grateful that we have such an opportunity but also not heedless not just throwing ourselves into it with heedless excessive enthusiasm no? As I said, this going to committing out, committing together to spend time in silence, it increases the pressure, and that's the the second of the the five spiritual faculties. So the five spiritual faculties of faith, energy, mindfulness, collectedness, discernment. This, this factor of energy, if we're heedless about it, we just throw ourselves in with willpower and forcefulness. Uh, Maybe we're not ready for that. Are we ready? Do we know we're ready? How do we know we're ready? Are we entering into this time with caution, with respect for where we're at, with caring, with kindness? Or is it just with some sort of split-off, willful determination to achieve some imagined goal that we've heard about, we read about? That would be unfortunate. So reflecting on these five spiritual faculties faith, energy, mindfulness, collectedness, discernment is a, that's a good way of preparing ourselves for the retreat if we, we wonder what we're supposed to be doing then I would suggest this is what we're supposed to be doing like going to the gym you, know. you don't go to the gym because that's where you go to make money or, or where you go to sleep you go to the gym to work out Working out on the spiritual level is what we do when we go on retreat. We understand these five spiritual faculties, if they're not online, if they're not functional, then we can't do the work. We, we have faith in the Buddha's teachings. We've heard these teachings about the suffering of life, the dukkha of life, as a result of heedless clinging. And what's needed is letting go. And so we put ourselves under pressure and then the consequences of our unawareness produces the denied dukkha and brings it into awareness and, and then we can't let go. Why can't we let go? What's going on there? I thought the Buddha said letting go is the way to freedom from suffering. Clinging causes suffering and letting go is the freedom from suffering. Why can't we let go? Well, it's a very good question. Maybe the reason we can't let go is because we're not ready. We haven't developed the spiritual faculties like these forms of competence, these levels of competence these are called faculties, it's the same as we have the physical faculties of hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching we have these five physical faculties and if they're impaired then we're inhibited 
poor eyesight, then it's difficult to find a way around. <coughs> We're going to do something to remedy that, get some glasses or and do something about our eyesight. And similarly with the interior faculties, they need to be functional and, and all of them, all five of them. And so that's something we can be reflecting on during this retreat, putting ourselves into the spiritual workshop, if you like, to do a workout on the spiritual faculties. The reason we can't let go when we need to let go is because the spiritual faculties are not fully functional. And so, by fully functional, it means they need to be well developed. We all have them there as potentials, like faith. We pull out the potential for faith or, or trust. However, is our faculty of faith really well developed? It probably starts out as something more akin to belief, which is up in our heads. Maybe for some people that's because they read about the Buddha's teachings or they heard a, a Dhamma talk or they went on a meditation retreat and had an interesting experience. And then they come away with a belief that this teaching that the Buddha gave is, is it's, this is the thing, this is the business, this is what I'm looking for. And so they believe in the Buddha's teachings. Not quite necessarily the same thing as faith. If we have faith in the Buddha's teachings, if we have trust in the Buddha's teachings, that means that when we're confronted with the consequences of our heedless clinging, like, for instance, clinging to old feelings of sadness, you know, can we trust in the true principle of letting go and bear with that feeling, can we trust it? Or do we go to our heads and think about, well, the Buddha said this, the Buddha said that, and I read this sutta, and read that scripture, and listened to that Dhamma talk, and why can't I let go? And the pain, the, the dukkha, the sadness, or whatever it is, remains. Maybe. Maybe we've got a lot of belief, however, we need to bring that down, that needs to be developed, well-developed, Sadha is the party word. Well-developed faith is much more than just believing in the Buddha. Coming down to our hearts, into our belly, into our bodies. Can we stay open and sensitive and alive when we're confronted with the consequence of our past heedlessness? That's really challenging. I and mean, that's very different from believing in the Buddha or thinking the Buddha is best. And that takes work, that's a lot of work, and that's one of the things that we might be doing during a meditation retreat, developing the quality of faith. Yes, I have faith that the Buddha was awakened. Yes. However, when it comes to dealing with the unlived life that we've got stored away, does that faith translate into a competence which means we can stay gentle and not get all contracted. Often when old pain comes to the surface, when we go back to that image of purifying the gold, when the dross comes to the surface, when that old pain becomes conscious, the denied dukkha comes into awareness, the tendency is to relate to it the way we did when we first denied it. Very normal. 
again, as we've often spoken about, the, the shadow or the side effect of affluence is that these days most of us grow up with all sorts of mechanisms for avoiding dukkha. We all experience dukkha. Everybody experiences suffering in their life. Nobody escapes suffering. However, for many of us these days, we've got all sorts of opportunities for denying it, for distracting ourselves, so we don't really learn the lesson. And dukkha is a message. Dukkha is a teaching. There's something to learn here. This is a life lesson. However, because in most cases we're not taught this, and most people are not doing this, most people are busy trying to distract themselves and avoid dukkha, and that's what we do. And so there we have this big backlog of pain. And when it arises, it's very likely we'll just react to it as we did originally, feeling like, I can't handle this, or I shouldn't have to endure this, or this is not fair, or this is somebody else's fault, all various forms of resistance and rejection and denial of dukkha. If we have faith in the Buddha's teachings, if we have faith in Dhamma, if we have faith in actuality, sustaining faith will means that there's a better chance we can stay gentle, we can be soft, we can be open, we can be present for this encounter until we've learned what we need to learn and letting go happens. That's the power of faith. It's not just a belief system, it's very different. That's well-developed faith. In the process, however, it's very likely that most of us will at some stage have to investigate our relationship to trusting and distrusting. It's very normal, very, very normal these days. Again, reasons of affluence and busyness and, and collective confusion of the society that we live in, the complexity of the world we live in now, that most of us grow up with feelings of distrust. We feel betrayed by the people who we thought we were supposed to be looking after us. Not because they didn't want to look after us, they just often, they, they didn't know how to look after us either. They were confused. Or maybe they were making money. And the younger generation these days plonked in front of a TV, and a device of some sort, and and the child then quite naturally ends up feeling like I can't trust this situation, can't trust these people. Or maybe we've been fed some spurious religious beliefs in our childhood and told all sorts of strange things like your damaged goods and, and you need somebody else to save you. And otherwise you go to hell. That's a terrible thing to tell a child end up feeling terribly afraid and after a few years you think, well that doesn't make much sense so you end up just rejecting the whole territory and so then the whole domain of trusting in true principles or having faith you don't know how to enter that space and what we mean what we find when we go there is distrust or, or darkness so once again a retreat opportunity like this that we're beginning now can be an occasion for looking into the quality of faith that we have, or trust, what is our relationship with trusting in the Buddha, trusting in the Dhamma, trusting in the Sangha. How well developed is it? Inevitably, living in the monastery, sooner or later, you're going to reach the edge of your faith, and then what you encounter is doubt. 
if we haven't prepared ourselves by inspecting our relationship to the psychological faculty of trusting, then there's a regrettable chance that we might at that point give up and turn away, stop learning. And I've seen this happen a number of times over the years. Well, I can't know for sure. However, the impression I had was some of the monks that I've known over the years, and they seem to get to a point where they can't access that faith anymore. The faith doesn't seem to sustain them, and I, I suspect it may well be this relationship to the psychological faculty of trusting that at an early stage of life closed down and they didn't know how to apply it when it was needed. Controlling only takes us so far. Thinking only takes us so far. Being able to really bear with the feeling of uncertainty as a feeling, not as an idea. The ideas are just approximations in our hearts, in our bellies, in our bodies. The feeling of uncertainty. I was talking to somebody the other day who who was saying they've been investigating their fear of uncertainty and and where it was in the body and their relationship with it was just was just fear. However, the way they were talking about it was as if there was something wrong with the fact that they were feeling fear. There's nothing wrong. I mean, if there's causes for fear to arise, then fear should arise. Our practice is, do we have the faculties, do we have the readiness to meet the fear or to meet the sadness without reacting in the way we did, which locked it away all those years ago? So faith is important. And the second of the spiritual faculties is saying... uh, energy, intensity. If we don't know how to allow ourselves to be subjected to intensity, if we we think the spiritual practice is all about love and light and being happy, well then we're in for a big disappointment. But if we have an appreciation of the, the, the value of intensity, that whatever it is that brings about intensity, putting ourselves under silence or sitting still for long periods of time or or if you end up getting sick or some other disagreeable thing happens like a relationship that you value breaks down and in this condition of intensity instead of judging it as something going wrong maybe hopefully if we've prepared ourselves there's an opportunity to appreciate it to expand to open into a larger field of awareness to allow our sensitivity to be more present in the moment, so that that intensity can take us deeper. Without intensity, we're just going to remain on the surface. And intensity is needed. And not just willful trying to get somewhere. And that's one. People think of effort. So, oh, I've got to make more effort in my meditation. I've got to concentrate harder on some such thing. There can be a great big pseudo-spiritual I there putting forward the effort and that pseudo-spiritual I might experience something very interesting however as soon as they've stopped making that willful effort and you can't make that effort forever and they get up from the cushion and walk away their eyes are dizzy and they feel unstable and they, they meet somebody who, who gives them a sideways glance and then they freak out and feel rejected and get angry and so much for 
the effort of meditation. That I making willful effort to get somewhere because I believe that there's something wrong with me, probably not a, a wise approach. So contemplating these spiritual faculties, how can we skillfully apply them, how can we develop them so they're really functional? Having a concept of Santa Virya Sati Samadhi Panya, that's all well and good. Faith, energy, mindfulness, quickness, discernment, that's well and good. How do we apply them when we need to? And the third one, mindfulness, which is a really funny translation of the word sati. It uh, came about when the word mind didn't quite have the same connotation that it does these days with being up in our head. So mindfulness, if that's what it does, takes us up into our heads and makes us think about how to control where we're at by watching everything, this I watching everything, and that's, there's a real risk of that'll throw us even more out of balance. Maybe we have to use the word sati, or I like the word aliveness or alertness. Without aliveness, without alertness, we're not really here. We're maybe only half here. And that's perfectly understandable. Again, a lot of us come to spiritual practice because life is so intolerably painful or disappointing or as an alternative to, to abusing drugs. Or, I've got to be careful. I need to find something more sustainable than these addictions that I've been cultivating. And so we try the Dhamma and, and then we find out that we are expected to increase awareness and aliveness and alertness to the present moment and what the present moment presents us with is pain. Well, that can be bad news. However, that is the message. The reason that we are feeling so half-hearted about life or distracted by addictions is because when we experienced the normal difficulties of life, we didn't have the support that we needed to learn what we needed to learn. We distracted ourselves. We denied the dukkha, pushed it down into the belly or into unawareness where it sat all these years. And, and it slowly caused us to feel less alive all the time. So when we are encouraged by our teachers to cultivate aliveness or to cultivate sati here and now. If we encounter that which we've avoided in the past, that doesn't mean to say anything's going wrong. It can feel that way and, and that's one reason why it's so helpful to have spiritual friends, companions who Likewise, know that it can feel that way. It really, really can feel wrong when we stop kidding ourselves about life. When we give up our addictions to distractions and just feel where we're at in the moment and emphasize being honest and sensitive here and now, it can easily feel wrong. And that if we jump to the conclusion that this perception is real, is true, then we can give up at that point, and that's really unfortunate. 
I mean, that was just, again, medicating ourselves or distracting ourselves the rest of our lives. However, if we do have good Dhamma friends who, who likewise have experienced, well, this is what happens, we cultivate aliveness in the present moment, encounter things that you have been avoiding. It doesn't mean to say life is wrong or you're wrong. It does mean that we need to be very patient and very careful. And developing all of these spiritual faculties, faith at that point, trusting that yes, freedom from suffering is possible, that faculty of trusting and the energy to make the effort to stay with it, that's important. The mindfulness, all of these spiritual faculties. The fourth one, collectedness, is another one that if we approach it as an exercise in willfulness, sitting cross-legged and just like the Buddha did under the Bodhi tree, it can be so inspiring, or you see all these monks sitting there, looking impressive, and you know, I'm going to do that, and, and concentrate your mind and narrow your attention down to focusing on the breath at the end of your nose and breathing in and breathing out, and after 10 or 15 minutes your mind is all over the place and your body is really aching, or maybe it takes half an hour, and still it can be torturously painful. Well, that's not the only way of developing collectedness. Some people, you find people who are less complicated, less confused, less stressed than we are, they just sit down and direct attention to a meditation object and settle into a very peaceful, lovely state. They don't have to work hard to bypass all the denied dukkha of life that we do. So our approach to collectedness is very often very different from our brothers and sisters in traditional Buddhist places. And we need to be ready for that. Sometimes in our case what needs is not willful concentration on a meditation object. It's more a gentle willingness to receive everything that's happening in this moment as being just so. Instead of how can I get past this, the question is how can I meet this? How can I meet this? It requires great agility, this spiritual work. It requires great agility and willful determination to overcome our defilements. It might sound like the solution. When it, when it actually comes down to practice, sometimes it's something else altogether that's called for. And we experiment with these things, we're allowed to experiment with these things of narrowing your attention and concentrating on the meditation object takes you very easily to a place of, of clarity and collectedness and, and calm, contentment. Great, enjoy that. If it doesn't, then don't think that you're failing. There are other ways of approaching the development of collectedness of attention. And then the fifth of the five spiritual faculties, discernment, or panya in Pali. Being able to ask the right questions at the right time in the right way. 
again, if we're too willful or too unsubtle, like this, I am going to sort myself out. I'm going to be really responsible. I don't want to mess around anymore. I want to settle this matter. That's not necessarily approaching practice in the right way. Approaching practice with the right kind of effort in the right way involves a lot of humility. The idea that if I can't sort this out now, then somehow I'm failing, and that's utterly unacceptable. Where did that come from? Everybody fails. Failing is part of life. However, for many of us, in the early stage of life, we, we got the message that failure is not okay. We're not allowed to fail. If we fail, we'll get be rejected. We have to win. Materialistic culture, certainly materialistic Western culture, is very much like that. If we're not winning, we're failing. If we're failing, we're not okay. Well, if we're approaching practice with well-developed spiritual faculties, hopefully, if we come across such a misperception that, like, I'm not allowed to fail, they will see that for what it is. That's a story. That's, that's a story we've been told and we've been believing for a very long time. We need to learn to be able to fail and still be okay. So long as our failure is within the realms of the moral precepts, we can learn from that. We can learn from everything. Like that collection of teachings of Ajahn Chah's, the book called Everything is Teaching Us. If we have a degree of competence with regards to the five spiritual faculties, then maybe that can be the case. Everything is teaching. If we don't have that competence, then perhaps we won't learn. So once again, as we begin this period of retreat together, What am I supposed to be doing on retreat? Am I supposed to be developing concentration? Am I supposed to be doing vipassana? Walking meditation? or Sound of silence? Loving kindness? We can ask all those questions. However, perhaps a more useful way of framing it would be to see it as all doing a spiritual workout with these spiritual faculties. And the faculties are there as potentials. I like to think of them as as the, the five Dhamma delivery devices. I'm sitting here, I've got faith. Why is Dhamma not manifesting? Well, if our five spiritual faculties are not in place, or the five Dhamma delivery devices are not functional, then it doesn't work. So I hope everybody has a rewarding retreat. Thank you very much for your attention.